hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. I'm really excited to share with you guys tonight as we continue this series that we've been doing called Get Ready. And what we've been doing in this series is we have been going through the book of Luke and we've been exploring it passage by passage. And this is actually something we've been uh, doing over a number of different series over the last year. And tonight in particular, the passage of the book of Luke that we are going to be looking at together deals with how Jesus expects his followers to live in light of the fact that he is coming back. And knowing that he's coming back makes you live your life differently. You know, last year, shortly after lockdown ended, there was this one night where Sarah was cooking dinner. And she was standing in front of the stove and she's making this dinner. And all of a sudden, she just takes a step back. And she goes, I don't think I can finish cooking this. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I, I don't know. It's just, it's revolting. I said, revolting? I said, it's the Chelsea Winters recipe. We've had this like 10 times. You love this. I said, what do you mean revolting? I don't think you've ever called anything revolting before. And she goes, I don't know. It just, it's making me feel sick. So I said, huh, interesting. So we figured out the uh, answer to that mystery about a week later when Sarah scored a positive on her pregnancy test. And uh, we found out that life was going to be changing pretty dramatically in about eight months' time. And those of you that have kids know that having one changes your life in some pretty big ways. Uh, but it doesn't just start when your baby physically arrives. It actually begins the moment that you find out that you're having one. It's that expectation. And of course, for, for the mom, her body goes through many changes and she experiences that. But also for, for dad, you, you start to change the way you think. Because even though you don't have the baby physically around yet, the way you think about everything in your life changes because you know that baby is coming. It changes the way you think about your money. It changes the way you think about your time and your relationships and the way you've got your house set up. And, and you begin to start thinking of all the things that you need to do and all the things you need to go buy and all the things that you need to know in order to be ready for this baby's arrival. And I remember it was about three weeks before our son, Emmanuel, uh, was born. Uh, I was talking on the phone to my mom and she said, uh, so you got your hospital bag packed? I said, ah, we haven't really gotten around to that yet. And she's like, Josh, what are you doing? She said, don't you know that he could come at any time? And so I was like, yeah, I guess I should probably get that bag packed. And so in those months and weeks before the coming of Emmanuel, life changed a lot <laughs> because before we were living for other things, but now we were living for our son's soon arrival. And I think that highlights a key thing about how all of us are wired and a key thing that is related to the passage that we are looking at tonight as well. And that key thing is this. What we are living for determines what we will live like. Just as I began to live differently once I knew that my son was on the way to me, our passage tonight is how we will live differently when we know in our heart of hearts that the Son of God is on his way to us. 
And maybe you've never really thought all that much about Jesus' second coming, and maybe you're still trying to get your head around his first one. Uh, or maybe you've thought a bit about it, but it's not something, if you're honest, that's very central to the way that you live out your faith today. And we are going to be exploring the subject of Jesus' second coming and the so-called end times uh, a whole lot more in about a month when we begin a series called It's Not the End of the World. And that's going to be a very exciting series. We're really looking forward to that. But it is my hope tonight that as we look at the words of Jesus in the book of Luke together, that you will see that whether you and I live to see Jesus' second coming or whether we don't, all of us are called to live for him and be ready for his return. So if you've got your Bible with you tonight, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 12. So sort of continuing on from last week, we have Jesus speaking to this very large crowd. It's literally got thousands of people in it. And his disciples are there with him. And as John T. covered last week, Jesus has been telling people about the things that they should avoid centering their life around. Things like worldly wealth or a good reputation or really big barns, which is a shame because I've always wanted a big barn. Now Jesus pivots and shares three parables that highlight instead where we ought to put the center of our lives, which is living for Jesus and for his return. Now here's a key thing. These parables focus a lot on Jesus' second coming. But it's important for you to know that Jesus comes to us in one of two ways. Either he will come face to face with us when we physically die, or he will come face to face with us when he splits the sky. Either way, the principles are the same. So let's dive in. The first parable is the parable of the watching servants. Parable of the watching servants. And it begins in Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 35. It says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So this is a clear picture of what it looks like to live for Jesus and live ready for his return. In this parable, Jesus calls us to do three different things. The first thing is to stay dressed for action. Now, other Bible translations have called this, let your waist be girded. Uh, but I chose a different translation because most of you don't know what girded means. Uh, but what this would have meant to, uh, to people in Jesus' day was people wore long robes as sort of their everyday clothing. But if you had some work that you needed to do, or if you were a soldier who was preparing for battle, what you would do is you would actually take your robes and you would tuck them up into your belt. 
And what that allowed you to do was it allowed you to move freely and easily so that you could do the work that you needed to do or fight the battle that you needed to fight unencumbered. And so what Jesus is saying through this parable is to live unencumbered. Don't let the distractions of life's comforts and troubles keep you in a place where your robe is untucked and you aren't able to move much. Instead, stay dressed for action. Love people, serve people, and participate in the mission of the kingdom of bringing the gospel to the people around you. So stay dressed for action. The next one that he calls us to in this parable is to keep your lamps burning. So in Jesus' day, unfortunately, they didn't have street lights, which we've come to uh, really appreciate. Uh, and so what that meant was when somebody went out at night, they had to carry their own oil lamp so that they would have some light so they didn't just wander off, off some cliff or into some river. And so when this passage talks about keeping your lamp burning, this is a call to continue to live in the light despite whatever darkness might be around you. So how do you keep your lamp burning is the question. Well, just as a physical oil lamp needs fuel to keep burning, so also we need fuel to keep the fire of our heart burning. And so you've got to add fuel to that fire regularly. And you can do that in a number of ways. Some really helpful ones are spending time in the secret place with God or being intentional about pouring yourself out, making room for worship or diving into his word and getting it inside of you. Those are all things that help you to keep that fire alive inside of your heart. And so if you're feeling distant from God tonight, don't wait around for some magical inspiration to hit you. Be intentional. Add some fuel to your fire and soon enough, you will again feel its warmth. The last thing Jesus calls us to do in this parable is to be found waiting for the Lord's return. Now this one is interesting. How do we wait for the Lord's return? I mean, are we supposed to have a set of binoculars and be, you know, just outside looking for any sign of a white horse? That'd be kind of weird. You know, you might have heard there's some scary things that are going to be happening around the time that Jesus comes back. Maybe we should be building a bunker. Maybe stocking it up with supplies and food and ammunition. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's my American self coming out. <laughs> that one's key. That's the most important thing. Got to have bullets for the guns. I don't think that's what the parable is saying. Just to be clear, <laughs> what I think this parable is saying is that the servants were all waiting so that they could open the door when the master uh, uh, returned to the house. And so it was speaking of this heart posture that they had, meaning they didn't panic when they saw the master walking up the drive and start running around the house and trying to sweep things under the rub and, uh, rug and cover up all the bad deeds that they did while he was away. Instead, they kept the house tidy and ready for their master to come home so that when they saw him coming up the drive, they were happy and they celebrated his return. You know, I have been married for almost nine years and I can tell you there is a world of a difference between Sarah coming home to a house that I have uh, sort of trashed and left messy 
and Sarah coming home to a house that I have made intentional effort about tidying up. Sarah coming home to a messy house makes her feel like I don't really care about her. And it makes me feel pretty embarrassed when she walks in the door. Having Sarah come home to a tidy house makes Sarah feel like, wow, Josh cares enough about me that he went and prepared this space for me so that it would be restful when I came home. I'm sure that's exactly how she thinks it in her mind. And you know, when I do that, I feel excited for Sarah to come home because I want her to see this thing that I've done. Maybe I just want some brownie points, uh, which is always good to score when you can in marriage. <laughs> but, but the point is, I, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way that when I see Jesus face to face, that I will feel like I can run to him with joy in my heart and not hold back because of guilt over the way that I've lived my life here on earth. So that's the three things Jesus calls us to do through this parable. The last thing to note about this parable is that when the master came and saw the servants of the house waiting for his arrival, he did something really beautiful. It says that he dressed himself for action. He tucked in his own robes and he came and he served the servants. And that is just beautiful to me because Jesus is a servant yesterday, today, and forever. It's who he is. There is a promise of great reward in the age to come if you will live this life in anticipation of seeing Jesus face to face. And that will come either when you physically die or if we uh, happen to be that generation, it will come when Jesus returns. But by living for him in that moment when you will see him, it will change how you live. Because after all, what you live for determines what you live like. So live for Jesus in his return, and you'll live your life spiritually awake. And if you live your life awake, then you won't live like a fake. That one's free. So let's continue our passage. Let's look at our next parable. This is the parable of the watchful master of the house. So this parable sort of continues our passage, and it continues to build upon the meaning of the first parable. So take a look at verse 39 with me. It says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You know, I've heard it said many times that we don't really need to worry too much about the end times because no one knows the day or the hour after all. But what this parable is saying is that you ought to really care about the end times because no one knows the day or the hour. Meaning, there is a real possibility, a non-zero chance that you could be alive for it. It could be this generation. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. So while the other parable that we looked at promises a blessing and a reward for those who are found waiting when the Lord returns, this parable gives us a warning that our future blessing can be minimized or lost if we don't live spiritually awake and ready for him. 
Just as a thief can come in the night and steal a TV or a laptop or your six packages of Tim Tams, I don't have a problem, okay? <laughs> the, the point is, if you're not ready, if you're not awake, and a thief comes in the night and steals your stuff, you know, it's not good. So also, in the same way, we can suffer loss in that age to come if we don't live carefully on this side of eternity. That's part of what this parable is saying. Now I need to offer a quick disclaimer. I am not talking about earning salvation or earning God's love through your works. Salvation is a gift that was purchased by the blood of Jesus and it is free and available to all of us. However, the Bible is clear that you can earn eternal rewards or lose them based on your works and the way you live your life today. And that ought to excite us and also ought to make us tremble a bit. The idea that we can gain or lose based on our obedience to Christ and how faithful we are isn't something that we love to talk about that much here in the Western church, if we're honest. In 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul describes our obedience to Christ as being like gold, silver, precious stones. He describes our disobedience to Christ as being like wood, hay, and stubble. In verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, meaning the day that Jesus comes, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So the Bible isn't overly clear what this loss is that the Apostle Paul is talking about here, but it's obviously important enough that, that Paul and Jesus and a number of others across the pages of the Bible mention it. But essentially what we should take away from all this is that Everything you and I do matters. When we give a cup of cold water to someone, he sees it and he'll reward it in the age to come. When we make a choice to say no to gossip in the office or make a decision to stand for the truth, even when it's not popular, he sees it. And so everything from the biggest things we do to the smallest things we do, they matter. And I just want to say, no one is going to do this perfectly. So when we stand before the Lord, I am guessing uh, that each of us are going to have some things that burn up, and each of us are going to have some things that remain. And we serve an incredibly patient, an incredibly generous, and a very merciful God. That being said, let's live our lives in such a way that we will be able to stand before Him confidently, and receive great rewards in eternity for the life that we lived here on earth. Let's live for him instead of for ourselves. Because after all, what we choose to live for determines what we live like.
So this brings us to our last parable in our passage tonight, the parable on faithfulness. And a fair warning, this one is even more a bit, a bit more intense even than the others. Uh, but this parable, just like the others, uh, continues to build upon the meaning of the first two. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 41, it reads, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, being a good rabbi, answers a question with a question. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour that he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much more will be required. And from him uh, to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more. Ah, guys, passages like this are hard. <laughs> they bother me. These are some pretty intense words from the mouth of Jesus. And this parable, it builds on the message of the others, but it gives an even more sober warning for God's people. And I think we as leaders would be doing you a disservice if we didn't tell you about that. The warning is when we stop living for Jesus and his return, we can start living for other things instead. And when we go down that path, this can lead us into living unfaithfully to him. And I believe this parable, it contains a warning about three different ways that we can be tempted to be unfaithful over our long years of waiting for him. And this waiting is both in, again, the broader sense of the longer wait for Jesus' second coming and also in the narrower sense of the long years of your life that you might have waiting uh, before you meet the Lord face to face when you die. The first temptation that we have is to neglect our assignment. This is what the servant did when he realized his master was delayed in coming. The interesting thing here is the servant, he stayed in the house. He just got his focus off of what really matters. And so what this could look like for us is to lose focus on loving God and loving other people. You know, I've had a lot of great friends over the years that have picked up a, a passion for God and, and lived with a sense of purpose and clarity. And I've watched a number of those friends experience delays, disappointments and great difficulties and through experiencing those things they've let the fire of their passion for God die out and you know what I've seen that pattern in my own life too it's all too easy to get our focus off center and start living for the wrong things the second temptation we have 
is to be abusive towards others in God's household. So Jesus uses this language of the servant beating the other servants, but I don't think that's really what we need to mostly get out of it because, because when Jesus was speaking this parable, the language that he was using was the language that would have been familiar to people of the day, that was familiar with the Roman system of servants and slavery. And so he was speaking in a way that people could understand at the time. Now I'm guessing most of you have probably never punched anyone else in church. Might have thought about it, but you've never actually done it. Uh, So I think what this parable is specifically highlighting for us is that we can be tempted to mistreat other members of God's family. And we need to know from this parable that God has a very high standard on how we are to love, serve, and forgive uh, one another within the church. And that all of us are going to stand before him one day and he's going to ask us how we treated our brothers and sisters in the faith. So that's a sober warning. The third temptation we have is to be overly self-indulgent. So Jesus describes this unfaithful servant as eating, drinking, and getting drunk. And this highlights to us that we can easily get our focus off the coming of God's kingdom and instead focus on obtaining a life of comfort, ease, and pleasure. Now, comfort, ease, and pleasure is not necessarily bad in and of itself, but it should never become the center of all that we are living for. So that's the three temptations that we can face while we wait for the master's return. The parable then finishes with the master returning and punishing the unfaithful servant for all of the harm that he inflicted upon the household. Now, I'm just going out on a limb here, but I don't think that the servant in this parable would have started out dreaming of being unfaithful. And he certainly would have been aware that his master would one day return. But as the delay grew longer and longer and he was waiting and waiting, the servant little by little took his eyes off of what really mattered. He stopped living for the preparation of his master's return and started living for himself. And in so doing, he stopped being a blessing to the master's household and instead became a menace. Which highlights again that profound and simple truth. What we live for determines what we will live like. So my friends, let's live for him. Would you guys stand with me? Can the band come back on up? So my question for you tonight is this, what are you living for? What we've looked at in the book of Luke tonight has possibly left you feeling a bit unsettled. It has certainly left me feeling that way. But I don't think that's always a bad thing. Jesus said a lot of things, and not everything that he said was rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes the things he said were fiery. But I don't think Jesus spoke with a fire that destroys. 
but rather a fire that purifies. Our passage tonight is a reminder that we will all stand before God one day, and he is going to do an audit over the way that we lived our life, for better or for worse. And I think that ought to give us a little bit of a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the knowledge that God is watching. And my friends, it is the beginning of all wisdom. I've heard it said that if our walk with God is like driving a car, then our love for God is like the accelerator pushes us forward. And our fear of God is like the brake pedal. You need both in order to get safely to your destination without crashing into something. So we need the fear of the Lord in our lives. All of us have the propensity to live for ourselves. I do, you do, any of us do. And while it can feel good for a little while, it doesn't really satisfy because we were created to live for something so much bigger than that. And so I want to invite you right now to go ahead and close your eyes and hold out your hands just like you're receiving a gift. And I want to ask you that question again. Who or what are you living for? Go ahead and take a moment to just consider that question. Maybe you're here tonight and you're realizing that you really do want to follow him with your whole heart. Somewhere along the way, you've gotten the center of what your life is focused on off track. And you're realizing that you've been living for some other things more than you've been living for him. And if that's you, then I just want to encourage you tonight that all you have to do is make a choice to sign back up to live for him again. And you can do that tonight. There is grace here. There is mercy here tonight. Living for Jesus doesn't mean living without tripping sometimes. Living for Jesus simply means that when you trip, you get back up, you dust yourself off, and you jump right back into the race. Living for Jesus means you refuse to let any disappointment, any discouragement, or any devil keep you from living out who God has called you to be. Who we choose to live for determines what we will live like. So I want to invite you tonight to make a choice to live for him. Lord God, tonight... I thank you for each person who's here tonight. I thank you that you are uh, the God who doesn't do coincidences. There's no accidents with you. Lord, for some of us, this message is hard. It's challenging. It's maybe a, a side of you that we're not as familiar with. But Lord, I pray that tonight, uh, as we consider the, the words that you spoke all those years ago that have been penned in the book of Luke, 
Lord, that we would see that they come from a God who loves us, a God who has our best interests at heart, the author who understands the way our books, the the story of our lives are written. And so, Lord, we want to put our trust in your goodness tonight. Lord, I pray as we uh, consider what we are living for, I pray that you would uh, highlight areas that we need to surrender over to you. And Lord, maybe we need to put that, uh, that compass of our heart back on the true north of living for you again. And Lord, I thank you there's grace tonight for us to do that. And so as we go back into this, uh, this last worship time, Lord, as we sing about how great you are and we think of that day when we will proclaim it and the world will proclaim it, no longer separated by the veil, but face to face. Lord, I pray that you would stir uh, fresh love in our hearts again for you tonight. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And I pray that you would visit us tonight afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.